from the prophet Jeremiah. And when that happens, God's decree, it will be plain as the sun at high noon. I'll be the God of every man, woman, and child in Israel, and they shall be my very own people. This is the way God put it. They found grace out in the desert, these people who survived the killing. Israel, out looking for a place to rest, met God, out looking for them. God told them, I've never quit loving you, and I never will. Expect love, love, and more love. And so now, I'll start over with you and build you up again, dear Virgin Israel. You'll resume your singing, grabbing tambourines and joining the dance. You'll go back to your old work of planting vineyards on the Samaritan hillsides and sit back and enjoy the fruit. Oh, how you'll enjoy those harvests. The time is coming when the watchmen will call out from the hilltops of Ephraim. On your feet, let's go to Zion. Go to meet our God. And from the Gospel of Matthew. After the Sabbath, as the first light of the new week dawned, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to keep vigil at the tomb. Suddenly, the earth reeled and rocked under their feet as God's angel came down from heaven, came right up to where they were standing. He rolled back the stone and then sat on it. Shafts of lightning blazed from him. His garments shimmered. The guards at the tomb were scared to death. They were so frightened, they could not move. The angel spoke to the women. There is nothing to fear here. I know you're looking for Jesus, the one they nailed to the cross. He is not here. He was raised just as he said. Come and look at the place where his body was laid. Now, get on your way quickly and tell his disciples, He is risen from the dead. He is going on ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. That's the message. The women, deep in wonder and full of joy, lost no time in leaving the tomb. They ran to tell the disciples. Then Jesus met them, stopping them in their tracks. Good morning, he said. They fell to their knees, embraced his feet, and worshipped him. Jesus said, You're holding on to me for dear life. Don't be frightened like that. Go, tell my brothers that they are to go to Galilee, and I will meet them there. The word of the Lord. There comes a point for every child when your parents think that you are ready to stay home alone by yourselves. How many of you guys are ready for that? Raise your hands. All right. You're clearly more mature than I was when I was a kid. See, for my family, that point came around when I turned 10. And when I... (laughs) But you can decide for your children for yourself. (laughs) And those evenings were some of the worst for my sister, my younger sister and I. Because we had wild imaginations fueled by 80s after-school cartoons. Now, I remember walking around the house with my sister because we were afraid. We were afraid of all those sounds that you hear when the house is quiet. 
We were afraid with our wild imaginations of who might have snuck in unbeknownst to us and was hiding somewhere in the house. So we would go to the kitchen and grab some pots and pans, and we'd go and clear the house as best as two children could. Flinging open every door, flicking on every light switch, opening every closet door, reaching in between with our pots raised above our heads. Now, I don't know, actually know what we would have done if there was someone in the thing. Two scrawny Chinese kids, what were we to do? But we managed our fears by doing the best that we could by taking control of the situation. And of course, nothing actually happened. There were actually no boogeymen hiding in the closet. But we didn't know this back then. We didn't learn that until we got older and we could see our situation differently. You see, when we get new information, when we see a new way of looking at our lives and of the world, that changes things. We can see our fears differently. You know, that happens in the Easter story of Jesus' resurrection. It takes place in a situation where many fears are named for us, if you pay attention. For those familiar to the story, we can rush on to the celebration of a resurrected Jesus while forgetting that this is a pretty incredible extraordinary situation for the women and for the disciples. If we look at Matthew's account of the story and pause to think of all the ways we might identify with the fears of the first witnesses. Walk through the first few verses with me. It's up on the screen. Before we even get to the resurrected Jesus, there's an earthquake. And then, after an earthquake, an angel appears. And not only appearing, but he physically moves the tombstone away from the front of the tomb. And the angel just doesn't appear to one person. The angel appears to multiple people. The soldiers guarding the tomb, who had nothing in this, you know, to, to believe in angel, were told, are frozen in fear at the sight of this. The message translation says that they were scared to death. They were so frightened they couldn't even move. Have you ever felt like that? The angel then speaks to the woman, saying, there's nothing to fear here. Oh, really? Easy for you to say. You know, Matthew's account of the resurrection highlights this theme of fear repeatedly. There's the fear of the guards in verse 4, the fear of the woman in verse 5 and 8, of the disciples in verse 10 when Jesus ultimately greets them. But what's the source of their fear? Their fear isn't that someone's going to hurt them or terrorize them. Their fears were grounded in a disconnect, a disconnect between what they knew and what was before their eyes. There's something disconnected between what they believed about the world and what, was, what they've known about the world and what now is before them. So what did they do? How did they respond? Life as we know it, right, for most of us, doesn't involve earthquakes, on a daily basis. Doesn't mostly involve angels appearing to you. If, you, if that's you, come, I'd like to talk to you. It doesn't involve a dead man's being removed from the tomb, especially someone you saw who was crucified and buried just a few days earlier. Life as we know it doesn't see dead men, dead people walking and coming up to us and talking to us. But all these things happen on Easter morning 2,000 years ago. It's not just the dawn of a new day, Easter. It's the dawn of a new era of history. 
See, if the resurrection is true, it changes everything, including how we deal with our fears. It's an event that frees us to name our fears. And I think for most of us, naming our fears is actually a very hard thing to do. Can you imagine naming your fears before a potential employer in, during an interview? It's like, yeah. tell me about yourself. Why aren't you kind of afraid of you as my boss? I'm kind of afraid of that 20% of the job description I actually don't know how to do? Can you imagine naming your fears before your children? Or if a politician stood before you and says, this is, this, is the, this is what I'm for, but this is what I'm afraid of. Naming your fears in relationships. Maybe naming your fears about a declining health or mental health. That's really hard, isn't it? It's very vulnerable. But the resurrection changes everything. Matthew's account of the resurrection reveals that we don't have to be afraid of our fears. So the question is, what fears do you carry? What fears do you try and manage and keep at bay? And what do you do with them? The resurrection of Jesus is an opportunity to freely name all those fears and find hope in the midst of them. See, if the resurrection of Jesus is true, then we might just have a different relationship with our fears. How does that take place? Well, if we continue looking at Matthew's account, you can't help but notice a different theme also that's tied in with fear. It's a theme of vision. Look at how many different references there are to look and see and hear. Yeah, when we're afraid, we can be, be like that. We see in verse 1 and 5, the women are told to look. That there's an appearance of an angel in verse 3. The angel tells the women, I think it's up on the screen too, the angel tells the women to come and see the place where, they, where he lay in verse 6. Then there's the message to tell the disciples to go to Galilee because there you will see him in verse 7. And along the way, Jesus appears to the, uh, to the women in verse 9. Go to Galilee, there the disciples will see him. Verse 10. In almost every single verse is a reference to this theme of vision. Look, see, appear, over and over again. Where are the women and the disciples prompted to fix their eyes upon? The angel tells them to look at this tomb, but Jesus isn't there anymore. They're told to look elsewhere. They're told to look where Jesus used to lay, but they're not going to find him there. And then he proceeds to tell them to go ahead and see the resurrected Jesus in Galilee, who has gone ahead of them. And just think of this. If you are the women, you've just met an angel who talks to you, who rolled open a tomb, and you're going in there. What would your, where would your eyes be fixed upon? And there's these frozen guards, an empty tomb. And actually, if you think about it, it's an empty tomb, that was made empty before the tombstone was actually rolled because you actually saw the tombstone rolled away. That's all really incredible. I would be standing there incredulous. How does that even work? They could have fixed their eyes on all these incredible situations, but they were invited to look elsewhere, to another place, to another person, in fact. They were invited to see the resurrected Jesus because seeing him is how we begin to see the world differently. Seeing him is how we begin to see ourselves 
and our fears differently. Now, last year, I had the opportunity to travel to Israel-Palestine for the first time ever. And we stopped at one of the sites where Jesus' tomb is believed to be. Here's a photo I took standing inside the tomb and uh, some of the friends I was traveling with. It was a pretty powerful moment. It was beautiful there. There There's beautiful gardens and uh, fountains on the outside to reflect. We worshipped joyfully and shared in communion together with my fellow pastors that we traveled with. And this particular location was adjacent to where Golgotha was believed to be, the location where the crucifixion would have taken place. Reflecting on the reality of Jesus' crucifixion and death, like literally, could this be the place? And the resurrection as these historical events standing on the same ground, that was moving. Especially being on the possibility of being on the same grounds where perhaps the woman had met this angel and met Jesus? Could we be on the same grounds? But at the same time, it's still an empty tomb. I'm far more interested in seeing where Jesus has been at work throughout history, where Jesus is alive right now, working in the lives of your lives and the lives in the world, and where Jesus will continue to work even until he returns. The question for us is, where do we look for where, do I, or where are eyes focused on, upon? Where do we look for hope in life? Maybe it's in our families. Maybe it's in our careers or our bank accounts. Those are the things that draw our attention. And we might even ask God for a vision for our life. We want a clear picture of where our lives will head towards so that we can be faithful and work towards that end. And some of us have been blessed by opportunities and accomplishments that take us a few steps along that way. In fact, through a combination of hard work and, and God's grace, you have been able to see some of your longings come to pass. And you might have even seen God work miraculously in your life. And for all of these things, we are incredibly grateful. We should be. But the invitation of Easter is that we need to only look to one place, to fix our eyes on one person, and that's to Jesus the resurrected Son of God, who gives us a new vision for life. The resurrected Jesus is the lens through which we are invited to see the world, a life of possibility beyond death, a world where sin and brokenness and injustice and inequality do not have the final say, but God's beauty, God's justice, God's healing and righteousness are coming to pass. You see, to believe in a resurrected Jesus does not mean we blindly turn our eyes from the brokenness and injustice of our world. And there's much, of the, there's much of those things in our world. But seeing a resurrected Jesus is not blind ignorance of, of the imperfections. We do not have to pass by those who are suffering with rose-colored glasses and say, oh, it's all going to get better. Jesus is alive. And we are not crushed when laws in our land seem to go backwards rather than forwards, or that racism constantly rears its ugly head. Instead, seeing the resurrected Jesus gives us a renewed vision of the world and, and the world to come. Seeing the resurrected Jesus gives us a resource to work for, to pray for, and to serve in this world with vigor and hope, without becoming jaded 
without becoming angry, without becoming depressed, because things don't come the way that we expect. Seeing the resurrected Jesus isn't something that we just do on an Easter Sunday, but it's a way of seeing the world and a way of seeing the relationships around us every single day. I wonder, what other vision for the world offers the same kind of hope? Does do good things like democracy and human rights? Does capitalism or, or socialism? Does tolerance? Does personal happiness and freedom? Do all those offer the same substance as a resurrected Jesus? I think if we're honest with ourselves, as beneficial and as good as many of those things are, none of them offers the same guarantee that a resurrected Jesus does. Yet many of us live as if those things are fundamental visions for our lives rather than a risen Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus, if it is true, offers something that no other vision can, a vision for what life might look like on the other side of what we believe is failure and collapse. Consider it if democracy or socialism or capitalism or tolerance, if personal happiness and freedom were to fail us, what would the other side look like in our world? More imbalance of power and wealth? More depression and angst? More division and selfishness? I think these are all things that we are probably afraid of. But the resurrection does something different. It frees us to name our fears. And Jesus meets us in the midst of them and invites us to look elsewhere. Not to look at our fears, not to look at the brokenness, not to the injustices, but to look to him, the one who has passed through the grave and shown us what life looks like on the other side. The world is being set right by God. And you and I are invited into that great work of God. But we are not the ones responsible for the outcome. God is. So ultimately, seeing the resurrected Jesus assures all of us who would look on him a new sense of hope, but also a new sense of belonging and purpose. You know, in the resurrection, in the scene in the garden, the guards were told remain frozen in place in fear, but the women are the ones who respond to the angel's words in faith. And they're the ones who are the first to meet the resurrected Lord. Take a look at what Matthew says. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, or good morning in the message version. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. Now, we kind of get used to it if you're familiar with the story, but this is a remarkable detail that the ancient world would include that eyewitness accounts of named women would be counted as reliable sources of, inf of information. Because in the ancient world, and even in America, even to a, just a, over 100 years ago, a woman's testimony was not counted as valid in a court of law. Yet in this new post-resurrection era of God's kingdom, women's voices are lifted up as honored, as valued, for an event as world-changing as the resurrection. From the very outset, 
Jesus' resurrection and appearance to them first is saying, women, you belong here just as much as the men. You have an equally important role to play in God's vision for creation. And in fact, Jesus commissions them to be the first evangelists to tell the other disciples that Jesus is alive. The women here are not supporting characters. They are the ones to whom Jesus entrusts this most important information to. And we find that this expanded belonging, not just for women, this expanded belonging and inclusion continues in the early church and as Christianity spreads across the globe. We find new cultures, new people groups, new languages have been finding a sense of belonging in God's kingdom because of the risen Jesus. Where colonialism has imposed a particular view of the world based on who has the power, most power at the time, God's kingdom releases each people group, each nation to express their language, their culture, renewed through the lens of a resurrected Jesus. This is the greatest sense of inclusion and belonging that transcends culture, that transcends time, it transcends language. See, no other world religion or ideology or worldview can offer the same kind of belonging and inclusion as a resurrected Jesus. Consider the major world religions. 90% of practicing Muslims learn and pray Arabic, though it is not their native tongue. The Jewish faith expects uh, an adherent, as much as I understand, to, to, to follow the many ethnic and cultural expressions of their religion. But if you study the spread of the Christian faith humbly throughout history, we'll see how the good news of a crucified and resurrected Jesus releases people, groups, and cultures, affirms them as they find true belonging in the kingdom of God. And every culture, every people group has something to offer that reflects the beautiful diversity of the character of God. And by receiving Jesus as Savior, who deliver us, delivers us from the power of sin and death, by receiving Jesus as healer, who reshapes our misplaced, selfish desires for ourselves and for all of creation, by receiving Jesus as the leader of our lives who forms us and leads us into a life everlasting, we find a new belonging, not just to a new way of viewing the world, but to the family of the living God. And it's this vision of belonging that the people of Israel look to over and over again throughout their history. The words of the prophet Jeremiah that Ryan read for us remind us of this promise that the Israelites held on to. I'm reading the NIV version here. It says, At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they will be my people. This is what the Lord says. The people who survived the sword will find favor in the wilderness. I will come to give rest to Israel. The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. In the Easter story, we find that the way people experience this promise of God is through Jesus, God's Son. Because he is, like, this promise is only for the people of Israel. But it's, he is the one who survives the sword. 
He is the one who passes through the wilderness. He is the one who finds true rest with God. In the cross and in the resurrection, Jesus is the one who passes through all the things that we would never want to pass through and offers that love, offers that belonging to all who would receive him. When we respond to the Jesus of Easter, we become God's people. We hear God say, you are my people. We join God's family. And in Christ, we can truly hear and experience the words of the Lord God saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with an unfailing kindness. This is the promise for all who would look to Jesus in faith. This Easter, where are your eyes drawn towards? What do your eyes focus on in our world? What occupies your attention? Maybe it's your fears. Fears for yourself, fears for the world. The invitation of Easter is look to Jesus. Maybe your eyes are drawn to the wonderful plan you have for your life. Or do your eyes look to Jesus, the one who died, the one who rose again from the grave three days later? Come and see, then go and tell. May the Jesus of Easter meet you as you go, bringing hope and new vision for seeing yourself and seeing the world. And may you find new belonging for moving about in this world with Jesus leading you. Amen.